0: We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. All of us would agree that there's much misunderstanding and um, distractions during this holiday season. We deal with it every year. But there still is something special to me about a concentrated emphasis on the birth of Christ. I love songs about the incarnation. I love to reflect about the condescension that God would come down to man. I love to reflect on the fact that that babe there born in a stable truly was, is, and will evermore be king he is the king and it's just an amazing thing I think about how uh, his his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not are above our understanding and they were completely um, dismayed by the manner in which Jesus came They, they it took them a while to even understand that he was the Messiah But they didn't expect the Messiah to suffer and die on a cross. But God's ways are not our ways. And God was working His will out. And He's working His will out today in our world. And one day, maybe much sooner than we realize, He's going to set up a kingdom on this earth and rule and reign in the hearts of men and women and the lives of even, even those who don't know Him will submit to Him and Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I I love to reflect on the coming of Christ. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So we're going to look at something about that today in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of God's Word. We'll read a few verses beginning in verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 where Paul writes... To Timothy, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before, Paul speaking of himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it in ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. That's a great passage of Scripture, is it not? And I want to focus on primarily the 15th verse where Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus came into the world. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Let's pray. Father. Please bless as we study your word today, as we just meditate upon the marvelous truth that you came to us, to a world without hope, that you came to us. We're grateful for that. It it changed our world. It changed our life. It changed our eternal destiny. So I pray that you'd encourage us today, God, just to... Be grateful if Paul was for our salvation. And Father, may our lives, as Paul desired for his life, may our lives reflect the grace of God and the mercy of God that you've shown us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I was looking over this passage, I was just reminded of the the great emphasis that Paul placed upon this particular verse, verse 15. He says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying. Now, if you step back and think about that for a moment, everything in the Bible is true. All the sayings of God are faithful. But Paul was, seemed pressed to imp- just emphasize or stress the importance of certain statements Kind of to underscore their importance, I believe. This is a faithful saying. If you look over to chapter three of the same book, First Timothy chapter three and verse one, he says, "This is a true saying." Now he could just say this is a saying, or could have just said the fact of it, but he said, this is a true saying. He's emphasizing the importance about what' to be said. And so in our text verse in verse 15, he said, "This is a faithful saying. Faithful means it's reliable. Faithful means you can take it to the bank. Faithful means it's true. Faithful means it is absolutely certain. Paul did this on other occasions. We were having a Bible study with some teens at our house a couple of weeks ago. And we looked at that passage in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1 where Paul said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. In other words, he said three times what I'm saying is true. I say the truth, I lie not, my conscience bearing me witness. And that's what he's doing here. He's emphasizing what he's about to say. This is a certain truth. And it, ha- and it ought to be trusted and it should never be doubted. The word that's translated here in our King James Bible in verse 15 is faithful. Is translated as true in another place. And, and, and this is the way it's used. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul wrote and said, God is true. God is true. So this is a, a, a faithful saying, verse 15. And then notice what he says in verse 15. It's worthy of all acceptation. It's worthy of everyone's acceptance. What he's saying is worthy, not of only of a, a majority of people adhering to, but it's worthy of all acceptation, everyone's acceptance. This is an absolute truth and deserves every single person's reception. And that's true. This inspired confession that Paul is making deserves everyone's attention and everyone's acceptation. And what is it that he's going to speak of in verse 15? In that particular verse, he's speaking of the reality of Christ's coming. Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, came into the world. I would think that even the most Nominal Bible believer or Bible student would recognize how critical this doctrine is. Christ Jesus came into the world. You know, the emphasis in this holiday season is on Jesus being born in a manger, but the emphasis is usually not on where he came from. And Paul emphasized that. Jesus Christ has come into the world. Three times in Luke's gospel, the place of Jesus' birth is referred to as a manger. He was born according to the Bible doctrine of the Old Testament in the city of Bethlehem. But that was not his beginning. Jesus' birth did not mark his beginning. It was the mark of his coming into the world. That's the the meaning that Paul is Pressing upon us in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world. If this is when he came into the world, the question that everyone should ponder and question and consider is where did he come from? You know, if he came into the world, where did he come from? And we don't, to me it's so insignificant, unimportant, the the precise day when Jesus was born I don't give it any thought I don't believe he was born in December the 25th I hope you don't think I'm a heretic for saying that (laughs) but it's not the day that he was born that matters it's the fact that he was born and where he came from when he came to this earth when he came into the world Jesus Christ it says in verse 15 came into the world he came into the world from another world he came into the world from heaven. You know, if you're looking there in First in Timothy, look over in verse chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy 3:16, Paul continuing in this epistle to Timothy says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Isn't that a great statement? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. God was manifest in the flesh. God is a spirit. John, writing in his uh, gospel, says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He revealed God. He is God in the flesh. Hundreds of years, many hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah said, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. That's not just a pretty name. It's a a name rich with meaning. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus was not just like God. He was God. He was Emmanuel. God was made flesh. This is such an important, essential doctrine that the babe born in the manger was the eternal God. He was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. You say, I sure would like to see God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the manifestation of God. He is the revelation of God. He is God incarnate. John wrote, he was in the world. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy about. He came into the world. John said he was in the world. Then he says this, though, and the world was made by him. The one who came into the world to be born of a virgin is the one who made the world. God, the uncreated one, created the world and then came into the world. And for me, this truth, This marvelous reality, this miracle never loses its wonder. It's an amazing thing. The humanity that Jesus robed himself with. The humility that God would become a servant of others. The condescension that when we could not get to God, God would come down to where we are. The love of God that sent his son. The grace of God. The majesty of it all. Jesus laid aside his glory to be robed in humanity that's what that's what the incarnation is about so Paul in this verse addresses the reality of his coming but also the reason for his coming why did look at the verse if you would first Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 I'd encourage you if you're in the habit of marking your Bible to underline this purpose that Jesus came into the world Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners that's why he came. There's so that's, that's the part that's often missed in the holiday season who he is, who he was, where he came from, but why he came. You'd almost think, by the way, many people treat Christmas time, that he came into this world to give us a holiday. He came into this world that we could have a, a shutdown from school or a week off from work. No, that's not why he came. His clearly stated purpose here in verse 15. He came to save sinners. There's much to be considered in that simple statement of purpose. Number one, we think about the hopelessness of lost humanity. We needed divine intervention. Nothing on this planet could help remedy the sin problem, the hopelessness of our lost world, but also the cost of redemption. This was not a good man giving his life. This was God giving his life he came to save sinners those who qualify who are those who would qualify for this great gift he came to save sinners well who are sinners every inhabitant on planet earth is a sinner every last one of us every man and woman born since Adam and Eve have been born into this world as sinners every boy and girl young and old whatever country they're in, we're all sinners, all of us. Most of us in this church don't necessarily need to have this emphasized for our personal benefit. We know that. We know it by our experience. We know it by what God says. But sometimes people never really understand how much they need salvation. He came to save sinners. All of us are sinners, by the way, the fact that we're sinners is not just a moral problem. We see the moral, the moral decay in our society and what sin has done to our world, but it's not just a moral problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem with eternal consequences. It's a spiritual problem because what it does, it separates us from God. Even, even lost people can see, well, murder's wrong and rape is wrong, adultery is wrong, but, but depraved and... And lost in blind humanity doesn't look at sin really like it ought to be looked at. It's like, to them it's just like a moral problem and we ought to do better than this. But it doesn't make us just bad people. It separates us from our Creator. It's sin that separates us from our God. The thing that was greatest, the greatest thing wrong with me before I was converted wasn't the fact that I was a liar and immoral And selfish and prideful the biggest thing that was wrong with me was I was didn't have God in my life I was separate I was living my life with no real purpose if you're living your life for a purpose other than to glorify God you're living your life for the wrong purpose and so our greatest need is not just the fact that we can become better people though salvation makes us better people but it makes us right with God So the purpose of his coming, Jesus came to bring salvation. He came to rescue us. He came to redeem us. He came to salvage us. Fallen, broken, lost humanity. Hopelessly lost without Jesus coming into the world. So he came into the world to save sinners. And though we've heard it and said it many times, it's worth reminding ourselves how that he could save sinners. And he would save sinners by giving his life. How would he give his life? He would offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. You know, when you understand the mission, when you understand the purpose, when you understand the reason Jesus came, you know that no man, no mortal could ever fulfill the reason because all of us are flawed All of us have broken God's law. All of us have sinned. All of us have lost our way. So it had to be not just a human sacrifice, but a perfect sacrifice, a divine sacrifice. And only God Himself, only God Himself could qualify to be the sacrifice that we needed for our sin. It had to be perfect. He who was without sin, would be made to be sin, to become sin. The Bible's very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. There is no cleansing. And the writer of Hebrews reminded us of this great truth. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away our sin. But John the Baptist had it right. Baptizing in the river Jordan, when he saw John, John saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. God's sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. No wonder we celebrate the incarnation. Not, you know, if they did away with the Christmas season, if they did away with the holiday, it would not affect us. It might save us a little money, but it wouldn't affect us. It might keep us from putting on a few pounds. But it wouldn't affect us spiritually or emotionally because we celebrate the truth as it's recorded in the Word of God. The season that man establishes. Jesus became God in the flesh. Emmanuel to take our sins upon his own body. He came to be our Savior. When the angel spoke to Joseph about this subject of the name, people really struggle over the name. And the angel is very clear. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Because it reflects why he came. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And how then does a sinner receive this salvation? Notice back to our text in verse 16. Hope you have your Bible still there. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter, notice this, believe on Him to life everlasting. Paul said, this didn't happen to me so people would believe on me. This happened to me that people would believe on Him and believe on him to life everlasting we're saved when we believe on him when we put our trust and faith in him for salvation I I, it, it deserves to be asked today has that ever happened to you has there ever been a time in your life when you understood that you were a sinner separated from God by your sin unable totally incapable of ever making yourself right with God, and yet you understood that you were a sinner. But you understood that Jesus came to this earth for one express purpose, to go to the cross, to take your sins upon His own body on the tree, to take my sins every wicked thing I've ever thought, every selfish thing I've ever said, every every abominable act I've ever done, that Jesus, all those things were placed upon the sinless Son of God, the creator of the universe, that God became sin for us. Have you ever personally said, you know, that's that's my story. Once I was lost, but now I'm fine. Once I was blind, but now I see. And if that's not your story today, you ought to make that your story by personally receiving Christ as your Savior. Paul understood the weight of his own sin. He'll, we'll talk about this here in a moment, but Paul was well aware, at this point when he wrote these. he was well aware of how, how much he had sinned, but he hadn't lived that way prior to this. He, he was a self-righteous man. He thought he was okay. He was a very religious man. He thought he was okay, but when he saw himself, as a sinner, he knew he needed a Savior. He didn't just need religion; he needed a relationship with God. We're saved when we believe on Him, when we trust in Him. People can do that anywhere they're where, anywhere they're willing to turn their life over to the Lord. However you want to submit their life to God, put their faith in Jesus Christ. Anywhere they can be saved. This is not just important for us to know. This is important for everyone to know. That's why Paul wrote this and says, of whom Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he says it's worthy of all acceptation. Have you done that? If I was sitting in this room today, and I wasn't sure I was going to heaven, I wasn't sure I'd ever put my faith in Christ, I would like to think I would care enough about myself and my eternal destiny and about what God had done for me. That I would turn from my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's when life begins. And the gift has already been given. The promise has already been made. But I think about that verse in John's Gospel where Jesus Himself said this, You would not come to me that you might have life. Life is not found in religion or morality or being a better person. Life is found in Jesus Christ. Life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He came into this world to save sinners. As Paul writes this to Timothy, uh, his son in the faith, by his own words, in verse 2 he says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, he's writing to Timothy, and he's expressing to Timothy this great truth. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But in the context of this, Paul testified of his own salvation. Look if you would please. I read it a moment ago, but I want to read it again in verse 13. Paul referring to his past. Said, who was before? A blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy. Paul said, I was... I was a blasphemer. He wasn't just a blasphemer. I don't think he was a blasphemer just because if he blasphemed God. He was a very, he was a strict Pharisee. But he was a blasphemer in the fact that he didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't, he, he didn't recognize Jesus for who he was. He, he said, before I was a blasphemer, before I was, I was in the dark. And he said, I was a persecutor. We'll not turn to it, but most of us are familiar in the book of Acts. When we read the record of Paul before his conversion, in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says that he consented unto the death of Stephen. Stephen, one of the first of the men who were set aside as a deacon. It doesn't call them deacons there in Acts chapter 5, but that's what they were. I believe it's what they were. And Stephen was preaching the gospel Warning people, warning the Jewish people about who Messiah was. They killed him. But when they killed him, Saul of Tarsus, later to become the Apostle Paul, some may not even realize this, but, but when they killed him, when they stoned him, when they martyred Stephen, Paul or Saul of Tarsus, a devout religious man, a Jew, was standing there and he consented unto his death. He was agreeable. He knew that was his past. Can imagine that that was on in your memory of something in your past, that there was a day when you had, you had actually consented to the death of Christians that you had given yourself? In the next chapter, in Acts chapter 8, it says he made havoc. Paul made havoc of the church. It says he entered into every home. Can you imagine that in our neighborhood? If you had someone like Saul of Tarsus going door to door... Finding people who were followers of Jesus, it said that, that he entered every home and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Imagine that was on your record. That was your past. That's why he says there in verse 15, he considered himself the chief of sinners. He knew knew what a sinner he was. That means he considers him the greatest of sinners. I'm just saying, Paul knew what he was like. This is the way I was. And this is is why this is so emphasized, emphatic statement. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, I don't believe that Paul lived his whole life under the burden of his sin because his sins were forgiven. But he never got away from what God saved him from. He never forgot where he would have been, blind in his religion. You know, there are people in this room who can relate to that. Some of us, when we came to Christ, we came from very little religious background. But some people came to Christ from a false religion or a religion that didn't emphasize the gospel and the true way of salvation. Sometimes it's harder to get religious people converted than it is non-religious people. Because they believe that somehow there's salvation in their good works, or because they got baptized, or because they've done good things, that somehow that's gonna be good enough. And religion has a way of blinding. All the, the Pharisees who were the really the most had the most opposition that Jesus ever had in his earthly ministry were all religious people. And you know what? We find this a lot in our culture, don't we? People that are religious, people, out they'll say that, well, I'm this, that religion, or I'm that religion. Well, it's not what religion you are. It's whether you've been born again. It's whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul had been blinded, and he was appreciative of the fact that even though he went about having, them, having people killed, agreeing to their killing, persecuting Christians, injuring their families, he knew that God in His mercy had called him out and showed him the truth. He, he was appreciative of his salvation. You know, I can't begin to measure how common this is or how much a factor it is, but I believe it's very true that sometimes in people's lives, after they've been saved for a while, they sort of get over the fact that God has saved them. They sort of take it for granted. They sort of forget where they came from, where they might have been. Paul never got over that. Paul never, he still reminded Timothy, and he reminds us how undeserving he was of salvation. That statement in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Notice he didn't say I was chief. He said I am chief. I am a sinner. I realize that we're saints. I realize that God has called us unto himself. If we're saved, he's placed us in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I know that our life is hid with Christ in God, but I'm telling you, apart from the grace of God, we're just sinners. That's all we are. That's all we are. It shouldn't surprise us when we think selfishly, when we depend on our own wisdom, our own will. You know why? Because that's our, that's our default. That's my default mode, just to think for myself and want what I want and insist on my will. But that's not who we really are if we're saved. We've, we've been made new creatures. We've, we've been adopted into the family of God. God is our fathers. we heard in Sunday school this morning, We can have the mind of Christ. We can learn and follow God's will. That was not me before salvation. Thank God for the grace of God in our life. Paul used this phrase twice in this text. Once in verse 13, where he says, I obtained mercy. And we find it again in verse 16. I obtained mercy. You know what that means? Paul knew his salvation was undeserved. I'll tell you, we ought to, and I'm just trying to help people today who may be in a spiritual slump. We ought to recognize in ourselves the danger of reading our Bible or singing songs or going to church when really we're not, it's not in our heart to worship God. We're just going through the motions. I'll tell you, that's not God's best. If the Apostle Paul, who had such revelation from God, such encounters... With Jesus Christ, if He was well aware of how undeserving He was, maybe we ought to be equally aware of how undeserving we are. He says, we obtain mercy. It's by His mercy. We also find in verse 14 where He refers to the grace of our Lord. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. It's only because of God's mercy and God's grace. If there was a, happened to be a person here today, and I don't have any reason to believe this is true, but it could be true. In your heart, you're sitting there today, and you're thinking, well, I just don't really understand this. I don't understand why it's so important. I mean, for people like me who's been saved, you know, for... For over 45 years. Why does it still matter that much? I'm telling you because he's changed our life. And he's still changing our life. And I'm not the person I used to be. But I remember what it was like to be without him. And I would never want to go back to that way of living. Not just because it was wicked. Not just because it was vile. Not just because... But because I didn't have God in my life. He wasn't a part of my life. We ought to be thankful for our salvation. And during this season of the year when people can be distracted by many other things, we ought to be laser focused on this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Another thing that Paul mentions in this text is not only what Christ had done for him, but how that God wanted to use His life as an example for others. Look in verse sixteen. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy. See, I want you to notice this. He didn't say, "I obtained mercy just so that I could go to heaven," or "I obtained mercy just so that I couldn't go to hell." He said, "For this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering." Notice these next few words: for a pattern. To them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. He said, I know that God had saved me. God saved me so that others could see the difference He's made in my life. You know, that's sometimes missing in the way we look at the blessing and benefit of salvation. We think about how good it is that God would save us. We think about how good it is that we won't go to hell. We think about how great it is that we're going to go to heaven. We think about how wonderful it is that God has not only changed our life, but changed our families, changed our our, the way we live our lives, our purpose in life. But there's another reason, and that is that others could see Jesus in us. That that he said that I, that I would be a pattern for a pattern, verse 16, for them which should hereafter believe. He came to save us from our sin, but he wants to use us. That other people could see. The reality of Christ in our life. That's one of the wonderful things about our purpose in life. Our purpose as believers is that other people, maybe our neighbor, maybe a distant relative, maybe someone where we shop, maybe someone who waits on us at a restaurant, maybe someone at a a grocery store, but wherever we are, that somehow our life could make a difference that we would be able to give people the gospel, they would see that Jesus is really real in our life. He came to save us from our sin, but He also came to use us. And for this reason, Paul gives this great, great declaration in verse 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory, or be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God alone deserves the glory for what He's done in our life. And if it's of God, he, get, he ought to get the glory. It's not of us. Paul wanted his life to testify to the grace and mercy of God. As we think about what a wonderful thing salvation is, may we want the same thing. That our life would somehow be a light to others. A lighthouse, a, a an example, of, or this Paul used the word, a pattern. A pattern that other could see how they could be saved. You know, some of you young people may not even be thinking that's possible or even what that looks like. But if Jesus doesn't come back for us and some death doesn't take some of you home, you're going to live another 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And you imagine, in that lifetime, how many people could be influenced for Christ through your life? That's what we're here for. We're not just here for ourselves. We're here to, to emphasize the gospel to others. That's one of the reasons why. You know during this time of the year, we encourage people to give out gospel tracts, to tell people about Christ, to witness, to give people a, an example of what Christ should be like. We ought to want the same thing for us. Grace, grace that can save should be grace that could be seen that people could see it in us maybe you've got a lost loved one maybe you've got a lost spouse a lost child a lost parent we want we want them to see the grace of god in our life so as we think about this season let's make it christ-centered that's the way it ought to be so i ask again i ask because it's such an important question have you been saved do you know the Lord? And if you're sitting here as an adult or as a child and you don't know for sure that you've been saved, you ought to, you ought to say, I'm going I'm to get this matter settled. I want to talk to somebody about this. We can't save you, but Christ will save you if you'll come to Him. All that come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. And even in this time of invitation, in a moment, you could come and say, look, I want somebody to take a Bible and show me from the Bible the true way of salvation. People are here that could help you do that. Or talk to us after services. If you're saved, we ought to be thankful for salvation. For what it means to be born again. This is a message worthy of all acceptation. Some people may not believe that God wants everybody to be saved, but Paul believed God wanted everybody to be saved. This is worthy of all acceptation. It deserves to be received by everyone. Not just by Americans, not just by lost people or or old people, young people. Not just by religious or non-religious. He wants everybody to be saved. And everybody can be saved if they come to Jesus Christ. Let's make our life an example to others of what it means to have a changed life. There's so many things about that. You say, well, preacher, do you think just because a person's saved that everybody's going to notice it? Not necessarily. If we're not living the way God wants us to live, they may not notice it. You know, some people accuse us, say, well, you're just kind of a goody two-shoes or you're just, you know, holier than thou. No, we're not. We're sinners saved by the grace of God. And it's important that others look at us, that they see that Christ is real to those people. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. As we bow our heads together for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just think about this brief testimony of Paul? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Have you ever seen yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? Maybe that's where you are today. You know in your heart that this is not real to you. You don't have a relationship with God. God loves you. Jesus died for you. That's what the incarnation, the death of Christ is all about. And if you're not saved, you ought to come today. I'll meet you here at the front. You could come and let somebody talk with you, pray with you. If you are saved today, our hearts should just be filled with gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And not only filled with gratitude for what He's done for us, but desirous that our lives, that our lives would be a testimony to others of what, salvation looks like our father as we pray today we thank you for your word we thank you father for the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world God may our minds and our hearts be directed in these days to marvel to marvel For the reason that Christ would come into this world to save us from our sin, we're grateful for it. Would you work in people's hearts today? Would you work in all of our hearts as we reflect upon your good grace in our life?